Off top, Mina has a story for you. Is it my story? Is it? We, it's, it's funny it's coming story. from me. I think it's yeah, our it story. Is. It's, uh, you know, people always ask me about Dominique and I and like our relationship, and I think, uh, and and how we got to be close. A, a lot of our crucial bonding <laughs> was done <laughs> before we were on TV. I think that's an important yeah, distinction yeah. because it was. I mean, when, you, you um, got to be modest, but it's before M Mina became a super celebrity. We went to the Super Bowl in Houston. And we were just like, we didn't have much to do. So we're just walking around the city <laughs> together and like the uh, running into people occasionally, going to the NFL experience, the puppy ball. We're like half fans, half media members. We did a, oh, do you remember when we did Bill Barnwell's podcast and they said it was in Houston and it was not in Houston. It was three hours outside of Houston. Uh, this was a live event because we will be doing something, it sounds like, at Vegas. Yeah. I guess we don't have the details on mm. that, so maybe we shouldn't tease it too much. But if you live in Vegas and you're a listener to this show or my show, there will be uh, an event, it sounds like. That's exciting. But we are reminiscing about the event we did in Houston, which was uh, very far. And uh, the I would say 80% of the audience was a black fraternity having their reunion <laughs> who i think got free tickets it was all purple it was cute dogs i was in my element man it was, that's what as charlie knows charlie's been out with me in new york and now that since we've both been on tv a lot and we have like people who recognize us and charlie i told charlie years ago that most of my fans are like black men middle-aged black men and they come up to me and say some variation of keep telling what they got to hear brother do your thing, young blood. Something of that effect. And Charlie has witnessed this. I just want to thank you. Yeah, I just want to thank you, brother. Give me the, I'm going to let you go about your business. I ain't going to stop you, brother. We ain't no picture now. Just want you to know. Keep doing your thing, brother. You're representing for us. I appreciate you. That sort of stuff. And Charlie experiences it a lot now also. Yeah, I, want to, I have some crossover with that audience, but I get a different quote. Mine is, you know, they, they, they be hating, <laughs> but you know your stuff. You know your stuff. <laughs> I, I get that for you it. all the time. They're like, hey, that Mina? That Mina, though? Because they'll tell you about everyone else. They're like, oh, man, I love what you do. They, they Inevitably, they always say, man, you better get Stephen A. He be talking so loud. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. While they're talking loud to me, they're like, you got to tell that man, shut up. He's so loud. And I'm like, you're kind of loud. But they always say, but that Mina, she be knowing her stuff. You don't think you know the stuff. You don't think no stuff. But she be knowing her shit there. I love Mina. <laughs> um, okay, so the actual story from that Super Bowl that we were telling Charlie uh, is we were covering the, we both cover <laughs> covered the game. I think I did actually write up of that I game. Wrote, I wrote about the I losers. I forgot what I wrote about. I think I wrote, I can't remember what the article I wrote, but uh, we were trying to get into the game to cover it. NRG Stadium is enormous and a little confusing and we didn't, well, it's not that confusing. I'm sure there was a very clear way in, but we didn't listen to anyone or ask for directions to the media tent. So Dominique and I ended up rocking like the entire circumference of the stadium, which is very long and it was very hot. Poor Jason Reed was with us at yep. one point. Uh, we were all just sweating, too, carrying all of our stuff. He had a journalist. He had on a suit. Yeah, yeah. I had all like some shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> So we're because you, you there's a media entrance, but Dominique kept saying uh, we were like, well, maybe we can just cut in and get inside and then we can cut across. Um, and I think this is maybe the one place in America where reverse profiling happens so because great. Dominique kept just walking in past security and then I would walk in and get stopped. Yep. 
every time. Well, they needed, they needed <laughs> to check me up. And I, I think actually I got in and you had to go to a different exit and we like yes, reconvened at the in. media room. You were like, I'll meet you inside. Yes. Awkward. Oh, you gave you gave her the, I'll see you inside. I'm not walking anymore. <laughs> okay. Catch you later, sis. <laughs> Walk right in that thing. I can't come out once I got in. She was all right. She was with Jason Reed. He can fight. Yeah, the the people who insist that uh, <laughs> reverse racism happens. This is, the, this is your this one is thing. One you, can point, you can point to this one incident. Um, yeah, play the music, I guess. <laughs> this is the Dominique Foxworth Show. All right, welcome to the Dominique Foxworth Show. We are joined by Charlie Kravitz, the great Mina Kimes. Charlie has on a beautiful purple sweatshirt that we talked about how you and I now are at a point where we kind of have like some fans. Charlie's got a fan. Yeah, shout out Phil from Virginia Beach at Sunday Scoop who sent me Be Vanilla t-shirts and says he's one of the great black ice cream makers hey, in the state of Virginia. If he is one of the great black ice cream makers, then he is one of the great ice cream makers. And he said, he did, he's, yeah, he's a very nice guy, very nice note, and I um, really like the Ube sweatshirt. It's really nice. And so, send me nothing, so clearly Virginia he only, is for Ube lovers. He only, he only watches or listens to the Dominique Foxworth show for the vanilla snack, which I appreciate. I love Ube. Great, it's great, yeah. Football! Um, okay, well, these teams might be in the Super Bowl, where I will be riding both of your coattails into the stadium. Um, Cowboys and Bills play this weekend. The Bills are favored by two and a half points against the Cowboys. They are? Yeah. But would you guys view it as an upset wow. if the Bills beat the Cowboys? One views it as an upset, apparently. I'm surprised that they're favored. I mean, I guess it's in Buffalo, mm -hmm. so two and a half is... Not I, although I think I, it used to be three, but I think the, the line for home field advantage has changed. Oh, one and a half, I, I'm not yeah. betting you one and a half now. Okay. So, um, so I think we should probably start by acknowledging the bills are very much not your usual seven and six team. They are, they have a point differential of plus one Oh four, which is fifth best. I think in the NFL off the top of my head, by comparison, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are also seven and six, have a negative 40 point <laughs> differential. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they're very different seven and six teams. Josh Allen is playing out of his mind. Um, obviously, they just came off a, a big win against Kansas City. I think because of the way Josh Allen is playing right now, uh, I don't view it as a huge upset. I will say, however, I think the defense still has problems that have kind of were sort of overlooking at the moment. And I think Dallas is going to expose them in a big way. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, I'm surprised that the bills are favorites, but I, I guess we take it to advantage the weather and the outdoorness of it, I guess. And the, um, it's a general good vibes that you get from being at home, I guess, which have lessened over the time. But, um, the thing that jumped out to me that is most interesting is some matchup between the MVP candidate quarterbacks and a lead in a year where we are low on QBs. I think we're like had like 12 or 13, like quarterback injuries or starting quarterbacks go down more than that. If you count the backups, cause now the Browns are onto their fourth quarterback. We, and we have quarterbacks not playing great, like Patrick Mahomes, the guys that we expect to play really well, aren't playing all that well. We have a situation right now where we have two quarterbacks that we expect to play well are playing incredibly well. And it feels like 
the attention that we're giving to Dak Prescott, like Josh Allen deserves it also. A lot of conversation about Josh Allen is um, parsing his decision-making and his turnovers, which I think we just accept it, bake it into the pie. But when you look at the numbers, they're almost the same on all the major statistical categories. The only thing that kind of jumps out, like Dak's a little bit better in just about every category with exception of sacks and rushing touchdowns, which, I mean, rushing touchdowns isn't really an advanced statistic, but I think it matters for red zone efficiency, which was something the Cowboys used to struggle with and something that uh, the Bills can't struggle with because Josh Allen will put an entire team on his back and drag him into the end zone as he did, was it last week? Was it last week when he... It seems like every week he has 10 rushing touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to that game because it doesn't feel like Josh Allen is the MVP candidate. It feels like Dak has kind of set himself up as long as he doesn't um, embarrass himself at any point for the rest of the way, uh, and they continue to win. I think Dak's going to win it, but Josh has a, a chance to get people to give him some really serious MVP consideration. They're playing the Cowboys this week, and then they've got the Dolphins. Like, so if they win out, I absolutely think people will start talking about him as an MVP candidate. That's what's ninth, one nice thing about the schedule. I was just looking at it. All of the MVP candidates play each other. Like the Niners and the Ravens play each other, the Bills and the Cowboys, the Bills and the Dolphins. So I, you don't, you like, you don't want to overrate the weight, the end of the season, but you inevitably do and will and the Niners fans will be like well we killed you know Dak Prescott when they played back in week six well sorry that's just how people think <laughs> they, they care more about these games and I really think um oh, so QB wins they really frame everything stop it well more so just like seeing on a big stage all yeah. of like the top candidates I think we all agree uh Brock Purdy Dak Prescott Christian McCaffrey probably won't but Tyreek Tyree Kill and then Josh Allen and Lamar, I think, are kind of like right on that mm -hmm. edge. All of these guys are playing. So I feel like MVP has the potential to like dramatic. Like right now, it's already like a pretty tight race. I'd be curious to see actually how tight it is compared to the last few years. I feel like it's going to be decided in these waning weeks of the season. You got. <clears throat> well, I mean, I, I'll tell you the odds right now. Uh, Dak is the favorite at plus 150. Then Purdy is plus 170. Lamar is plus 450. Jalen Hurts still plus 850. Josh Allen plus sixteen hundred, and then we get uh, Mahomes plus sixteen hundred, Tyreek plus two thousand. I have um, a, a little bit of a detour stat that I saw. Please, I saw using the ESPN analytics site, the FBI, and like the projections. They had San Francisco as a fifty-two percent chance to make it to the Super Bowl and a thirty-three percent chance to win the Super Bowl, and it blew my mind. Like the fifty-two Crazy. chance to make the Super Bowl, so that is essentially our analytics site saying San Francisco versus yeah. the field. We take mm -hmm. San Francisco, which blew my mind. And so I went to look at the other previous seasons, and Philly was forty-two. 22 last year, uh, and the Bucks were 37-22 before that. KC, 57% to make the Super Bowl and 35% to win the Super Bowl in 2020. That was the only one that's uh, higher or even, in my view, comparable to San Francisco. So while we're talking about these Bills and we're talking about these Cowboys and we're talking about all these other teams, does it matter as long as the San Francisco stays healthy? Do you think they are head and shoulders above everybody else? Well, I mean, they've beaten down dramatically their two biggest competitors in the NFC uh, and 
that's that's wild from FPI. But uh, DVOA, I, th- I saw Aaron Schatz at FTN tweet this out. They've got San Francisco as like a historically good football team. Uh, there is there's there's no smoke and mirrors to their excellence. And like when you consider like, OK, what would it take for them to lose? Which we always have this conversation like, what is it like? What would it take? And we got the Ravens game coming up, which will be really fun to decide not this week, but the following week. Um, it feels like an injury is yeah. the only thing that will derail them. They hate saying that. Yeah. Right. But like I mean, but it's one. I mean, which we saw when you took out two of their, you know, giant all star team of an offense. That's when they struggled. But it feels like something like that would have to happen. They have a bunch of guys that I feel like all of them are guys who are going to miss some stretch of the season at some point, from Kittle to Debo to Christian McCaffrey. Um, it's not something you root for, but, I mean, it could work out. They could get lucky, uh, like the Eagles were last year, and it felt like no one. Yeah. Jalen got a little nicked up, but no one got hurt all year for them, and that matters in football more than any other sport. Yeah. Um, I do have one question about just back to back to Bill's Cowboys before we move on. Do you see this game just being a – a total shootout between these teams with how injured the Bills defense has been and how good the Cowboys offense is. Does it seem like it's just going to be the Bills trying to go score for score for score with this Cowboys team? Yeah, it's tricky because like I, I, I keep saying that, but then I'm like, I remind myself that the Cowboys defense awesome. is extremely good. Yeah, I, I know we just saw them get lit up by Seattle not too long ago, um, but they're a really good unit. I think the fact that I still do think it could be high scoring is a testament to just how well Josh Allen is playing right now. I think what's been so impressive about watching this Bills offense is like they've won many different kinds of games, right? Like in the last game, uh, Stephon Diggs was a total non-factor and it Gabe Davis didn't record a single catch and it didn't like the Legere Sneed blank did, did digs. It didn't matter because they went to James Cook and Josh Allen's legs and you know, they use the tight ends more like they feel multiple in a way that like the best offenses are. So while I think like, you know, obviously Dallas has this tremendous pass rush. Of course, you're playing an unsackable quarterback effectively. Um, they'll find a way to move the ball on this defense. And then on the other side, I really I, I know I said this at the beginning, but like it, the Bills defense is very vulnerable up the spine, which happens to be the place that Dak Prescott is probably the best quarterback in the NFL. So I, I feel like they'll be able to score with these. Yeah, I was talking about that uh, earlier this week uh, about Dak Prescott attacking in the middle field and like the red zone. They love the, the double posts. They love the tight end down the seam. Those are things that yeah. the uh, the Bills will definitely struggle with and their way to address it is going to weaken them against the run. And while the Cowboys aren't running much, they're running better than they were before. They're more yeah. efficient. So like they are having a bigger impact on the game through the ground than they did last season, despite the fact that they're running less. And I think it's all predicated on Dak Prescott being able to threaten them all over the field. But I do think that this game, it's surprising again that the Bills are uh, favorites in this because I imagine a game script that the Bills can win. And when I try to imagine it, I think the shootout is the way to imagine it because I have a hard time believing that they're going to be able to shut out uh, the Cowboys. And then you combine that with, while we always say turnovers are not all that sticky year to year, Cowboys are one team that seems to always get them. Like the last few seasons, they've been up there in turnover numbers. And I mean, the the criticism of Josh Allen is the criticism of Josh Allen. It's not going to change. The thing is, a lot of teams have uh, DBs or linebackers that will drop the ball when it's thrown to them. The Cowboys don't have that. They don't have that problem. So you could, I could imagine a situation where there are early turnovers where this thing gets out of hands in the Cowboys' favor and maybe Micah Parsons is able to bring him down. But I, I have a hard time imagining it going the other way. 
but the Bills could win in a shootout. Yeah. It's going to be fun. I can't it's gonna wait be great. to watch it. I'm yeah. pumped for it. Um, let's pivot to another good game in the AFC, which is the Ravens and the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence was banged up last week, but played. Lamar has been good this year, up and down a little bit, and the defense has been excellent. But this Ravens team is really interesting because they're probably the best team in the AFC, but they aren't a team that just blows people out. They let people hang around and hang around, and sometimes they blow weird games. They almost blew that weird game to the Rams. So which version of the Ravens do you expect to show up this weekend against the Jaguars? I think that they'll they'll win and i i mean i i'm not discounting the fact that it might be close maybe you know what there i was looking for weaknesses in the ravers defense there aren't a lot they're tremendous and, and i know they just got ran on and, and carved up by the rams but i think people don't appreciate how good this rams office in yeah. particular matthew stafford is so that oh i think God. explains that more than the ravens defense um but so so the one weakness i could find is that they're a little bit weak they're they are weaker against quick passing which is something that Lawrence does well but like I don't think that is enough frankly and we've seen this Jaguars offense has been like super inconsistent at like they aren't pushing the ball downfield enough they don't run the ball well Uh, against the best defense I believe in the NFL right now it doesn't feel like a good matchup especially with Lawrence being banged up that Jags offensive line has been like really hurt different guys playing different positions this is not the pass rush you want a non-cohesive inexperienced offensive line again given the amount of chaos they create up front and then on the other side the Jags defense Dominique has really collapsed over the last couple of weeks that's to me been more shock the offense has been kind of bad all season defense though was really good at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the year and has been just god-awful the last couple of weeks, particularly the linebackers. I don't imagine that that'll turn around against the Ravens. You asked the original question was like, what version of the Ravens will show up? I would think it's the same version that shows up every week. It's a really good defense and a slightly inconsistent offense that occasionally is like, wow, this could be the best team in football. And then all of a sudden it's, it's not. So like, I, I don't know. I've given up on the hopes that, uh, Lamar will ever become like consistently accurate because it is stressful when you watch those games that there are times when he's just like spot on under pressure. Like I think Mina, you highlighted the throw that he made for the two point conversion and there's, he does four or five of those incredible throws in tight windows in a game. And then there's always going to be two or three to people are running wide open down the field and he's just off. Yeah, that there was some throws in early in the game where he was just like, whoop, and I'm like, what are you doing? And it kind of flew. I, I didn't really understand. But then he makes the most amazing plays you've seen all year back to back. So clutch his, uh, on the touchdown, the two point play. His inaccuracy doesn't lead to a bunch of turnovers, which is nice. It just I, I guess it's better, but it leads to like yeah. fourth downs that we weren't expecting. And so, yeah, I think that team is going to be the team that shows up. Is It could be a blowout if um, Lamar's on target early because he doesn't make a bunch of bad decisions. Like, you see that yeah, no. with a lot of quarterbacks who – like, I mean, all quarterbacks make bad decisions, but he doesn't make a bunch of bad decisions. His problem is, like, he'll make the right decision. He'll be on time. He'll figure it out, and then he'll just miss. Doesn't it seem like, though, with that team that if it's not a blowout, they're somehow in the fourth quarter and you're like, this team's about to pull yeah. away. They're going to win by 14 yeah. and then somehow ends up being a three-point game with like yeah. two minutes left? I think that they have had a lead more than any team, including the Niners. Last I checked, I didn't check this week, so maybe that, well, it probably didn't change. Well, I know there was lead changes in the Rams game. Maybe it did change, but in any case, they've had a lead for most of the year, but to your point, they 
they have blown it a few times in the fourth quarter. Some of them have been because of turnovers and fumbles and interceptions on the part of Lamar, you know, um, but like this, they're just a much better football team than Jacksonville. Charlie and I were, were I'm making a video on my YouTube channel. Check it out. Oh. Mina at Mina guys about like all the AFC teams that are over 500 and like what is great about them. And I had a lot of trouble finding something great about the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Like what, like Josh Allen's really good. Okay. Like it, they're just, they haven't there. I think they're actually, they've been worse than their record this season. Dominique, when you like look at the team and try to evaluate both units. Can't wait for Ravens 49ers next week. Oh, it's going to be so awesome. Oh, oh my God. I hope everyone stays healthy and we can see how Kyle Shanahan tries to attack Kyle Hamilton. Oh, it's going to be, or tries to avoid Kyle Hamilton. We'll see all the new variations of simulated pressures and overloads that you're going to get from Mike McDonald. It is going to be thrilling. See Trent. That Williams. is one of the best uh, linebacker on linebacker games oh. of like the last five years. What are announcers going to do? They have to call both of them the best linebacker in the NFL. Uh, look at Fred Werner, Roquan Smith. Look at them uh, in coverage. Is this, this it should be a Monday nighter. Wayne Greenlaw. Yeah. Oh my God. It's Christmas, dude. It's on Christmas. Oh, okay. What a gift. All right, kids. Really just dunking on the yeah. NBA with that matchup. It's Poor unbelievable. NBA. Oh my God. Truly. Poor NBA. Yeah. Be okay. We'll watch it in February. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Steelers February. play earlier so they, they can have the afternoon. Yeah. God, anything but watching that team. Uh, um, all right, last football question. Uh, this is a question I don't think if I'd asked you guys a month ago, you wouldn't have done anything but laughed at this question. But they're playing this weekend, and who do you think is the better team, the Lions or the Broncos? Um, I have implications. Yeah, I mean, I guess I have to say Lions, I guess. You don't have to. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I don't know. I I just been dude. The Lions' defense is terrible. Right, I've been. De- I mean, I I've been. De- when? Uh, all right. Well, Charlie knows. <laughs> broke your brain. Charlie knows. Brain. No, it's just because the I, I'm trying to guard against whatever biases I have because I was early on. Hey guys, the Lions are unserious when everyone was telling me that we should fear them, and then they've turned, and now I'm just wondering: is it just my personal like? desire to continue no. to be right that makes me want to say that the Broncos are better because the Broncos aren't good either. They're not good, but here's why this is a tricky question. The Lions have a higher ceiling, yeah. but the Broncos have a higher floor, I think. I, I, which is crazy to say about a team that gave up 70 points early in the year. I realize that. we The floor is hell, apparently. <laughs> but the current iteration of the Broncos, which is very different, the actual players on the field, um, especially on defense, are different. But... Uh, I think like both the offense and the defense are like fine. Whereas with the lions, the defense is terrible. The offense can reach much greater heights, I think than Denver, but if they don't, it's like you saw last week against Chicago and Jared Goff, you know, actually he's been kind of up and down over the last few weeks. It's ugly because of how bad the defense is. So that makes it hard. This is a very difficult question as a result, because you're comparing teams with such different um, ranges of outcomes, I think. And their lines are uh, in a bit of a swoon right now. I mean, the, the the best that you can expect from the Broncos offensively is not very good. And that's in a game that's been largely skewed to like offensive production being more important than anything else. Like I, I kind of feel like I have to go with the Lions because the Broncos, even against that bad defense, I don't expect them to put up 
all that much, but the Lions have the potential to like score 35, 40 points. I don't know. It's two teams that I don't really respect either of them as they're as contenders. You guys know what Jared Goff's QBR is under pressure since the bye week? Or 1.3. Uh 0. 0.6. <laughs> oh, 0.6. Damn it. <laughs> I think maybe I did the whole year <laughs> since the bye week. <laughs> Well, and you know why that's a problem, Charlie? Because this offensive yeah. line, speaking of like narratives you hold on to, they're not playing well. They've had some injuries. I think um, the center was, was out last week and Glasgow played instead of Ragnow. But like, we know this is who Jared Goff is. Mm-hmm. He's great when he's protected. He's horrible when he's not. He's been the same guy his entire career. And I think we have this assumption, well, the Lions, they have this great offensive line. He's going to be fine. He's not fine, man. Like he, he, and he's getting out that ball out quick too, but uh, they're giving up a lot of pressure right now. The Packers game was the first time when I was, that I like considered that (laughs) their offensive line is, is not great. And I still think their offensive line is is good, but you're right. They haven't been playing well. There's so many bad offensive lines. They're not bad. There's so many bad offensive lines in football that having a good one is, or mediocre one is, is helpful. They're not bad, but they're not excellent. I think we just instinctively think of them as being excellent. Last one, quick hitter here. Tom Curran put out the report that he was speculating. He thought that Bill Belichick's gone after the season. It was a conversation that happened after the Germany game. It's pretty plugged in, beat reporter guy. Um, don't want to talk about the validity of that, whether it's true or not. But if you, Dominique Amina, if you guys were Bob Kraft, would you fire Bill Belichick at the end nope. of the season? I wouldn't do it. I mean, I guess there's more information that that Kraft has that I don't have. But um, I think older coaches who have had a lot of success, you fire them when the game passes them by. Based on how they are playing defensively right now, it doesn't feel like the game has passed them by. Um, The argument for firing Bill Belichick to me feels more like uh, we need a fresh, we need a fresh look. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel. And I guess the other argument is you're a bad GM and we know that we can't keep you as the coach without getting rid of you as the GM. That would be my question, which is, is he saying no to that? If he is insisting on keeping GMing responsibilities, I would fire him. I don't think you can do that. We don't know. I just think that's a bad, I mean, I guess technically you can do it. I just think it's. You'd say I'm bringing in help. No, no, I, I don't think that having help is a problem. I think in this situation, Bill Belichick's been there for such a long time and that organization is run in such a specific way to him. Like it feels odd to have someone come in there and I'm not in the building, but just. It's hard for me to understand how that would work. You bring someone in that has more power than him or different power than him. It feels like a situation that you have to end. You either have to end it or you don't. You can't like modify it. Here's how you do it. You're probably right, by the way, because of egos and history and all that. But you just have, if if Bill came out and said, hey, I really just want to focus on the football side of this right now because obviously we haven't had a lot of success there. We're turning over the roster in some ways. I just need to dial in my responsibilities to turn this thing around. He won't do that, but that would be the ideal outcome. Right, but yeah, he would have to actually want to do that. I think that's a good PR way to do it, but I'm talking about functionally day-to-day Bill Belichick. Well, and, not it, and if he decisions. doesn't, yeah. if he doesn't want to, you said you wouldn't. I would. Yeah, because you're cutthroat, and I'm not. I'm a big teddy bear. <laughs> sensitive. Care about Bill's feelings. See inside. So sensitive. <laughs> All right, Mina. Thanks again, buddy. Bye, uh, guys. Can't wait to our Super Bowl gallivant. Oh, so much vanting. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash df today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash df. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. David Dennis Jr., my friend, your friend, Charlie's bud. He is here to talk to us because Draymond Green acting up and you are. I don't know what to call you. Just like a, a Steph apologist, I guess. Uh, Steph Curry super fan. I don't know. What's... I don't. I don't know what it is that you should call me, but it doesn't help that Davidson sent this in. Like literally, this came in the mail today. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I don't know why this they sent this to me in the mail today, but I, it came in. It is a Stephen Curry graduation bobblehead. Oh, um, so cute. That he can, he can be in the Hall of Fame today. now. There. Yeah, he he got all. He got inducted to all three of the things: Hall of Fame graduation and uh he got his jersey his jersey retired all at the, all in the same day and so now i have a bobblehead to commemorate um this occasion and i would i'm going to tell everybody that this is actually me that's pretty much what i'm going to do <laughs> you guys kind of look like kind of favor all right so what is it about the draymond green situation that you find most interesting is it that steph curry has never been asked to be a vocal leader and now he's gonna do it and we're gonna find out if he's really as good as lebron is that it or is it something else <laughs> it's, it's not that that was probably the worst talking point to come out of this uh, whole situation is that Steph Curry needs to um, be more of a leader like LeBron, which would, I think, have required him to have traded everybody on that team probably <laughs> like a month ago. Uh. Um, I, I think I think there are two things that are that are extremely interesting to me here. Like one is the NBA's approach here which I guess we could start with because the Draymond thing will probably take more time. Like the NBA is doing this weird thing of determining what rehabilitation looks like, which, um, you know, obviously Dominique, I think you could speak towards like all of this sort of, you know, union-y, bargain-y stuff. That, that just seems like not the right thing to do. Like, I don't know what they intend to do with this indefinite suspension, suspension until you have some sort of, you know, therapy or whatever. They did this with Kyrie, but like, I don't know how you can adjudicate, you know, rehabilitation for Draymond based on like watching movies or peace talks or trust falls or whatever they plan on doing. Like the guy 
already lost the NBA championship by doing these things. I don't know what else they think they're going to do in these next however long with this indefinite suspension. Just suspend the guy for 10 games or whatever and move on. Oh, Dumars was on first take on Thursday morning, and he made it clear that this was in consultation with the Warriors and in consultation with the union, which I do find unusual. There's union and league talk often is about a partnership, but it never actually materializes in part because you can't trust them. And so I worry about going forward in this situation where it is indefinite. So I assume that the point of indefinite was to buy time, but it feels like the point of indefinite is not to buy time. It is like, yeah, we're just going to kind of build this out. So what happens when he decides he wants to come back or the union believes he's ready to come back? Who is going to be the arbiter of if he is com like completed enough therapy or whatever? Jordan Poole. <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> yeah, do we have to like do a kumbaya with Jordan Poole before? Like, do we have to Anyanla fix my life between him and Jordan Poole before he can come back? Like, I just don't, I just don't get it. I think like the league and all these people do not know how to deal with rehabilitation because like society as a whole doesn't understand how rehabilitation looks. It seems like this suspension will be over once Draymond Green says, "I'm tired of losing money," and that is not going to solve anything. We have a hard time, I think, with a lot of these players who I think, or not just players, but people who don't respond to the obvious incentives that we think are like clear. Like it's yeah, he's he's currently trying to figure out a contract too. And the he one just thing, got paid. Oh, he, oh, he got man. paid this past offseason. Oh, so that's yeah. why he and, don't care. And Clay's the one who. <laughs> so, first of all. They're playing the Wizards on December 22nd. I don't think it's – I would be shocked if indefinite does not go through that oh, yeah. date. That is something the NBA absolutely wants to avoid. Um, but I actually think this is pretty interesting. I would love to know what, what you guys have to think, think about this too because I know Dominique loathes when I psycho too, too far getting the head of someone who's doing this stuff. But I kind of think that the Jordan Poole punch, we thought it just broke Jordan Poole. Like he was a much worse basketball player. He's now a bad basketball player on both ends for the Washington Wizards. I kind of think it broke Draymond also. I mean, he didn't seem to have the gravitas in the locker room last year, even though they made a conference semifinals. He's been really erratic this year. And this was a, a team in a dynasty that regardless if they won more titles, I sort of thought they would go the way of that KG Pierce Allen Celtics team where they're in a lot of series. They're tough. They're the team. No one wants to play. And it just seems like Draymond has gone the other way while he's still excellent at basketball. He doesn't have the ability to control himself to help that team get there. And I wonder if that all stems from like the embarrassment of all of this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that many instances of a dude, punching somebody else and like his spirit being broken from not from like punching a guy. But I do think that I would say that I, where I would lean is that Draymond punching pool sort of coincided with like what the realization of his career is and that he has always been on this razor's edge of, is he worth it versus what his utility on the court. And I think that that punch, which coincided, which is what his, 30, you know, being him being 31, 32, however he was at the beginning of last season, just coincided with the fact that he's just not as good anymore and can't do the things that he can do. And that sort of stuff that you do, those antics, the risk reward, the return on investment just isn't there. It reminds me of, you know, how the Bulls were with Rodman. Like Rodman could do all that stuff he wanted as long as he had 20 rebounds and could defend anybody. And once he stopped being as good to, you know, we saw last dance, they were kind of like, ah, I don't know. And 
the end of Rodman's career was basically him getting cut from a bunch of teams because he was doing too much of that stuff because his athleticism and what he could do on the court was not matching up to that other stuff. And I think that's what we're seeing with Draymond. Yeah, I mean, I think you pulled us away from where Charlie was taking us. And it's not psychoanalyzing. It's yeah. like... Um, Inflection pointing? No, it's it's cinematizing, <laughs> I think. And I think we're all guilty of this is we yeah. want to be able to make a movie or a novel or whatever. And there's always like one event that does it. The tough thing about doing that for Draymond is they ain't just start. Like, I do think that there's a lot. Like, this is kind he swung of swung in NBA finals. Yeah, exactly. Literally. That's, yeah, that should before, be the moment. That's before, the moment. And that's the thing is, like, <laughs> most people would expect that's the moment that, like, scares you straight. But he, mm -hmm. it doesn't because mm -hmm. it seems like. He just cried in the parking lot until Durant came and saved him. It does seem. <laughs> you're out of your mind. It does. <laughs> that seem, happened. Okay, whatever. It does seem like there is um, something. And this is where the psychoanalysis happens. And I think that we have to be careful not to pretend like we know these players, but we can talk about um, what's happening and how confusing it is. And it doesn't make any sense when all it seems like there is no incentive to behave this way. Like, even last night, even if you take out all the other broader con context, or not last night, the night before, in that game, mm -hmm. there was no incentive to do that. Like, it just seemed so, like, there was no, like, beef between them. There's no long-standing beef. I guess it's it's well, a, a challenger in the West, but he didn't have a long-standing issue with Nurk. No, and yeah. this, is the, the, this is one of the crazy things about it, where it's like, the player's response has changed to Draymond too, both on the Warriors and off, where they used to be like, we live and die by Draymond. Now you have like Nurkic being like, I hope that brother gets help. Yeah. You have KD saying, I hope he gets help. Yeah. Um, that You'd grow bare basically being that, like, I hope he finds solace, that, whatever he needs. I find that interesting because not just players, but especially players and p media people, NBA media people who are close to it, like there seems to be a lot of this, like suggest that, they it know something. It seems genuine. Yeah. And it, yeah. it also, the reason why it seems yeah. genuine is because it feels like they know something we don't know. Mm -hmm. And like, we all are watching it like, yeah, something else is going on, right? Yeah. I, I think that's that, you know, is indicative of the way that Kerr sort of came out and w for Draymond after the Gobert thing and the way that the, the play, like, Kerr used to be really kind of hard on Draymond when he would, you know, have these stupid suspensions and have these moments. But it seems like he's more so rallying around him and trying to be there for him publicly as he's in some sort of down moment. Like something is going on with that brother. I think Nurkic was right. That brother needs some help. Now, I'm, I can't tell you what the level of help that is or where it stems from, but something ain't right with this dude. Like he has had, he's derailed their season, you know, and this is really the second season in a row that he is derailed. That season wasn't on no rails anyway. Now, he's not, He's not this. He's not solely derailing them because Wiggins it and Clay have a lot rails. to do with what's going on. But at one point, they were five and one, and this stuff started yeah. happening, and it it fell apart. You no, know, and I know. I mean, David's right. It does. Steph is the second best player in the NBA. You only have so many vintage Steph Curry seasons left. Period. And offensively, it's like you know Jokic and Steph and everyone else. And to not get the most of that season because crazy stuff is happening on and off the court. Yeah. That's a disaster. That's a derailing, even yeah, if they I mean, weren't that's, great. That's an argument that we don't have to get yeah. into, but I don't think that maybe maybe um, Draymond puts the final nail in this derailed coffin, but I think the issue with them is probably more that their draft picks haven't panned out and Wiggins can't be Wiggins again, and Clay Thompson is uh, a ghost of himself. But, yeah, we can blame Draymond for that if you want to. The, the last part about this that I wanted to touch on a little bit is, like, Maybe these are weird parallels to make, but 
John Morant was in the news recently for his civil trial, and Zion's been in the conversation a lot for his um, conditioning issues. There's something to be said for the mental health conversation that we have around sports more now than we had before. And it keeps coming back to these three guys strike me as guys who are find themselves in situations that seem like the incentives and the behavior that they should take is obvious. And it appears that they would want to, but they can't. And like, I don't know what the answer for that is because Ja, if you remember, obviously you, you got in trouble and now you need to act right. You got in trouble a few times. Now you need to act right. And he couldn't. And with Zion, it's the same thing. It's like, all right, you got a bunch of chances. You got, we paid you. Now it's time to show up and be in shape and do what we expect of you. And it feels like he can't. And the same for Draymond. It's like time and time again, Draymond, just hold it together. And he can't. And, like, I don't know what the answer is for people like this in the world or in this game, but I do know that the NBA is not qualified to figure it out. Yeah, what the, NFL, what the NBA is doing is just, is just ain't working. You know, like, they are, are not, you know, this is a, you know, one of the things that you have, these players who are super visible, who are in these, you know, clutch, high-pressure moments, and there's just no idea about what it takes to sort of, you know, be there for them in in these in these spaces like these people are dealing like zion Williamson, there was a a whole week discourse on all major networks calling this dude fat you know like that 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 cannot be good for you you know and these these you know what we talk about we talk about you have a clutch gene you have all the stuff it's like you don't have the heart to do this you don't have the dog in you and all that stuff when all of these things like there is a mental health toll to all of this as we mentioned seven years ago eight years ago draymond green you know kept hitting people in the nuts and cost his team the dine like the chance to be the greatest team ever to, you know, be on any, you know, in the basketball, right? And he ruined that by having these exact moments. Like that takes a toll on you. All of this stuff takes a toll on you. We know about John Morant's issues and all of the stuff he's been through. And there is nothing there to sort of, you know, support these people except for saying, go to this therapy session and then you get to play. The funny again. thing is you said like the pejorative version of it that we always pull out there is like, you don't have the dog in you. You don't have heart. Like if there was a better terminology, because I do believe that some of that stuff is true. It's just, we say it in a way that makes it impossible for people to, to accept. So the fact of the matter is, People are have different psychological makeups and we all recognize and celebrate the success that Jordan's psychological makeup has produced. But we also recognize that it comes at a cost. And I do think that just because someone has the physical makeup or physical tools to do something doesn't mean that they have the psychological makeup to get it done. We've gotten far afield from the Draymond conversation and it feels more like uh, uh, overall mental health conversation. But you can't because and and we've made it and we've made it in a way that you can't say that <laughs> like because what you are saying right. is i don't have a dog in me not saying that i don't even know the right way to say it where i wouldn't be ashamed to say it if i was that because if i'm if i'm uh and draymond maybe the argument he got too a little too much dog in him but if i'm zion like I don't know how to go and tell people. I don't even know if I am, if I can see what the issue is. And I don't know how to then go tell people that there is some other issue because I can't imagine that he enjoys this, that he wants this to happen. He would like it to be different too. The same with Josh. So I don't right. know. Nah, yeah. we, we are not professionals to figure any of this out, but Charlie, what's up? Last part. So Wilbon was on get up today and he yeah. said that he hopes it's not just like a seven game suspension. And that would be 
gutless by the NBA to suspend him for seven games. What do you think, just timing-wise? Because we've talked about this in a very nebulous sense of, like, once he's right, he should come back. But how long do you think it should actually be? I think it should be seven, eight, no more than ten games. I mean, uh, going based on the precedent that was set with uh, Ron Artest's elbow, he's another player who who was— Was that 15 games for Harden? No, it was seven games for Harden. Oh, wow. In 2012, he got seven games, and he's another player who had a history of a very extensive history, uh, including the Malice and Palace of issues uh, with uh, yeah, violence on the court. I think that that sounds about right, right? But I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to get in my union bag on this one, but with the way that they're handling this, uh, it makes me nervous. Yeah, I'm nervous about this. You know, I, I don't want to also get into a different bag, which is a uh, how I feel about punishment in general. Yeah. Oh yeah, getting <laughs> that, that go into a whole different late. But uh, you know, uh, you know, I just think that we just believe in punishment just for punishment's sake, right? So what what is the to me? It's like what is the goal of the punishment? And the NBA really has not established what the goal of this is supposed to be. Like, are you trying to create a Draymond Green that is a peaceful dude who will never do me, this again? I'm sorry to cut if you off. That's the case. I'm sorry to cut you off because yeah. I know the answer to that question. The goal of the punishment. Yeah, yeah. I think that while they may pre- present or project other things, the reason why this makes me nervous is because the NBA's incentive is always to protect their league and increase the financial return from basketball. It is not anything else. So that is why a uh, indefinite suspension makes me nervous as a precedent because the union's job and, and the union accepting that. Because the union's job is not to do that. It's to protect the interests of your players. And while I think right now all the players are probably on board and all the fans and all the media all on board with like Draymond indefinite, whatever, there will come a time when something happens that you will not be on board with with ceding this much power to uh, Adam Silver, but you will have no leg to stand on because he'll be like, remember last time the precedent that you allowed to be set was that I get to decide when you come back yeah it's sort of like the nba's approach is sort of like that that viral like pie chart of like parenting it's like why do you put a hat on your kid's head when it's cold and and like the little bit it was to like to keep them warm and the other part was like so other parents don't judge you for <laughs> exactly uh, right. not putting a hat on your kid and that's exactly what it is like it's about how they're perceived it's about what feels you know like an adequate punishment so yeah seven to eight games do it. Go like it's fine. Whatever. Like, but if you're actually talking about punishing people, the Warriors' season has been punished. <laughs> like, their season is done because of what Draymond has done, and Draymond is already losing money. Just do seven or eight games, make everybody feel good, and come back and just you know, like you said, let everybody just bow down to this indefinite suspension forever because somebody's going to be victimized by this, and we won't have anything to say. You haven't had to wait long. It's going to happen soon. And the to the final thing I'll say about your point about the reason for punishment. So we know what the NBA's motivation is for punishment. But in general, you want punishment sometimes for retribution. So the uh, aggrieved party feels that they have had some version of justice. It's also for deterrence for other people. And sometimes it's for rehabilitation for the, the, um, the person who, in this case, Draymond's green. I think that's out of the window. Like, I don't think there is a punishment that will address that. So you throw that out the window. Now, the other question is retribution and also a deterrent for everyone else. I don't think any of that is actually applies because it feels like everyone feels sorry for him more, which is a shocking turn of events. And also (laughs) no one else is him. 
Like, I don't, Nobody else is yeah, doing this. No one else. He, what is it, 31 days that he is going to get his third suspension in 31 days? More wins than the Pistons. He has more suspensions than the Pistons have wins this season. <laughs> yeah. So or same like, amount. Yeah. And, and yeah. All right. So, I, I mean, I just don't see it uh, as – it just seems like a, a no-win situation for everyone. You wish that Draymond could control himself. And, and now next time someone – if someone, again, has three suspensions in the course of the season, the ex- expectation is going to be indefinite. And I don't know. We'll see where we go. Maybe we're moving in a different world where we can, we can trust um, people who run businesses to do what's in the best interest of people uh, that work for them. I ain't ready to accept and what, that. What's not, what shouldn't be, yeah, what shouldn't be lost in all this is that these suspensions and these deterrence, these real rehabilitations have not happened yet because Draymond Green was always really, really good at basketball. That's, true. That, that's just, I that's see, just what it is. But at basketball, that you don't have to worry about. The last things. thing I'll say before we go to Bomani, Bomani Jones is I really like Adam Silver. Like personally, he's a good guy, and like I trust Adam Silver as much as I can trust someone who is not like my family member. However, I know what is more powerful than Adam Silver, Silver, and it is like the incentives of capitalism. And it is blowing my mind continuously that people are allowing their affection or opinion of Adam Silver, or maybe it is their disdain for Draymond Green, to make them comfortable with this endless suspension. This is Well, Joe Dumars did, did say today... Um, we knew there would be some level of punishment, but we didn't want to be, we didn't want the punishment to be the focus. Right. Indefinite means get yourself right. That's what he said today on get up or on first take. Yeah. Um, sorry, on Wednesday yeah. so, or on Thursday. So like it does seem genuine, even from that side to be like, there Come needs on, to Charlie. I know I appreciate No, no, you're just being a good co-host right now. You just present <laughs> the other side of argument because I know that you, you're not silly enough. So this is the point I'll make. I do not want to call Joe Dumars or Adam Silver liars. And I'm not going to say I'm that on they, either phone of his. Yeah, I'm not going to say that either of them are liars. I think that they believe that. And I think they are sincere about that right now. Both but, can be true. Yeah. yeah. But my, my point is right now, this is not going up against anything else. There's no friction pushing back against this. They're not asked to make a decision based on this against something else. What I do know will happen is there is a hierarchy of things that are important to them. And players' health and well-being is on that list. It's probably pretty high. But the owner's financial interest is higher. And there will come a time where they're going to have to make a decision with those things juxtaposed against one another. And you have just, because the uniqueness of this situation, if this stands, they have just given them a weapon that they cannot defend themselves against when that comes to be. So while right in this moment, you're like, we're doing the right thing for Draymond Green. Yes, justice for Nurk and all the other people who had issues. What I'm trying to make clear is that by allowing this to happen, and maybe it never comes to be. Maybe there never comes to be a situation where these two things are juxtaposed. But when it comes, or if it comes, you have ceded some level of power to them. And I know it sounds like I'm being crazy, but I've been alive for long enough to know that you don't trust businesses. No matter how smooth talking the people who own them are, you don't trust them. Or you don't, you don't want to give them that much power because it's like human nature. We are all like, you know, I don't know. Don't, 
I don't know. I just don't want it to sound like yeah, I'm yeah. on some moral high horse. I'm not saying I'm better than them. I just recognize that I do not want to put them in that situation because if you put me in that situation, I would probably do the same thing that they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, the question, I mean, if you're saying I want this guy to be right, then you have to explain to me what punishment has to do with getting him right. Like, what is the pun? What is the punishment factor into this rightness that you want for him to have? Like, what is it about him losing game paychecks is going to help him get right? Like, if you want him to have the counseling and the therapy, explain to me why he can't do that while he's playing basketball. So that doesn't this is not just about making Draymond right. It's also about punishment. And to, you know, Dominique's point about how we, you know, talk about all these things in the larger societal instance you know there's all this stuff where people are celebrating when there's these rico cases right that come out that say yeah you got a rico case against you know there's a section of this country that's celebrating you got a rico cases against trump and all these people and yeah yeah and everybody's celebrating that all this but when you look at rico cases the people who are actually getting abused by these for the most part are innocent black folks right and so when you have a thing that works for you uh, societally once and you get behind it and you rally it you're actually giving power to people to do these things for people who are innocent and that applies you know, in the justice system and applies to the NBA, which is trying to do some sort of facsimile of a justice yeah. system that does not work in itself. And so all of this stuff is going to, at some point, somebody's going to get victimized by all this. And I think that's where, you know, we're dominating, where, I mean, where, where, where we're sort of aligned. What if, some, what if someone is doing a protest again? If it's a kneel to the anthem again, and then they suspend them indefinitely, and you're going to be like, oh, uh, I know those things aren't parallel, but it's just my point. I, I promise that we're going to wrap this up a number of times, but David Dennis got me <laughs> fired up along with my main man, Charlie Kravitz. I appreciate y'all. Thanks, David. You're the man. Hope we have you back again. Yeah, love you guys. Hope somebody else punches yeah. somebody in the face so we can have you back. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, welcome in, Bomani Jones. I wish that we had the recording rolling before we started this. We just finished doing your show and then had some good laughs in between, but I'm not sure that all that is, is good for air. Uh, but yeah, appreciate you joining me, man. Hey, man, appreciate you having me, Grinchy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a little bit Grinchy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Todd Munkin and Linderbaum just got a bond. Oh, no, no, we can talk about that. We can talk about that. What quarterback did the Ravens just sign? I don't know, but I know that he was black, and so I was like, I need to talk to my body about this. I don't no, know if you saying, guys. Was it, was, it, was, it, was it Vince Evans, right? Was it Vince Evans? Was it to go get Tommy Frazier? Like, who'd they go pull up? 
<laughs> maybe. So I don't know if anybody who's listening knows this, but like if you look around and Bomani uh, is something that I was aware of, but Bomani brought to my attention probably four or five years ago uh, about anytime you have a black starter, you have to back them up with a black quarterback because traditionally the fans, if the black starter struggles, the fans tend to get a little bit restless and they but want even that. if he don't. Yeah, that's true. They always believe, they often believe that the grass is, is a little bit uh, greener uh, and the, with the backup. So if you look around the league, you notice it's been consistent for as long as I can remember is teams, I guess it's not every team, but most teams have learned their lessons and GMs know that once you have a black starter, you can go ahead and, and, and filter that, that, uh, that chart looking forward by race because you got to – and the Ravens have gone to the extreme. They don't even want you calling for a, a new black quarterback coach. They were like, no, we're going to get you a black – everything is, is all black like the unis. Everybody's black except the offensive coordinator in the center. They not losing <laughs> their minds completely. But yeah, T. Martin's the quarterback coach. I think they got like a black one of the offensive assistants, oh, yeah. like with some amorphous title that just has them there. All the backups. And I got two words for you, baby. Tyler Bajent. Is that what his name is in Chicago? They yep. was the, the Tyler Bajent hive was going. I watched it in Charlotte with the Derek Anderson hive. They was always ready for Derek Anderson. And one time, Ron Rivera benched Cam Newton. Oh, because yeah, Cam did not wear a tie on the flight and rules a rule. And he decided that Cam was not going to start for the first series. Cam Newton missed one play because on that play, Derek Anderson threw an interception. And I'm telling you, before that happened, the Derek Anderson hive had activated. And they was finally like, all he needed was a chance because if Cam Newton could do it, they sure could. Well, it's happening in uh, Cleveland right now. That was a team that followed yes. the rules. They had a black starter, and they're like, "We, you ain't going to get us. Oh, we're going to get a black backup in a black third string. Then they all got hurt, and they was like, all right, let's go get Joe Flacco. It's a little bit different, though, because Joe actually looked good last week, man. It's not, he didn't come in and throw that Joe one interception. But he ain't look so good for them to be like, we got a new starter. Like, granted, Deshaun Watson's out for the year. So they didn't yeah. go, like, completely over the top with it. But they had just concluded, I've watched enough Joe Flacco football for the last three or four years to know what you saw is not permanent, right? Like, right. that, yeah. we need to make a movie about what we just saw. That was great. That was like Jack Nicholas at the 86 Masters. It ain't never going to look like that again. That would be your presumption. Nope, they were like starter for the rest of the year. They are so excited about what Joe Flacco did, even though I think they figured out something very important. Uh, the Browns sent a tweet that said about Joe Flacco, he doesn't lose in this stadium, <laughs> which is funny. hilarious was... because when he wasn't losing, he was playing for another team. And I guess that's what they just figured out. It wasn't about them. It's just that Joe Flacco, the man at the Cleveland stadium. They're going to go on the road again and have a rude awakening. I don't know. I mean, so they, they have hope now. I'm, I'm with you. Was there a push to determine a starter, like announcing that to maybe it was something that Joe made him do? It didn't seem like, I guess when the other quarterbacks got healthy, there was going to be some call for him. I don't know. It doesn't matter. We'll see what happens with them. But they actually got a chance. Yo, I can't believe this is now Watson's hurt now. But mm -hmm. if he was half of what they were paying for and he was playing, would they not be the like presumptive yeah. favorite to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl? I mean, I think so. I, if so, the Ravens defense has been the best defense all season. I think the the Browns defense is probably has a higher ceiling than the Ravens defense. But as far as consistency is concerned, the Ravens defense have been the best. The Ravens offense is a lot like uh, 
is, is very opposite of the Ravens defense in that they're a little bit more volatile. So, like, if that's what we're talking about, if you had a quarterback that was more consistent, I think – yeah, you have to – they'd be at least up there with the Ravens right now. If they kept that, kept the running back healthy, which you – I mean, saying keeping a running back healthy is a stretch, but if they had a quarterback that was consistent, they had, I don't know, maybe a game manager? Holler at your man Cam about that. <laughs> they would be in a much better situation than they are in right now. But, but considering everything that's gone wrong for them, it is amazing – that they like that whole division is a lot of I don't understand what's going on. Jake right. Browning out here trying to get him a Matt Moore contract or something like that. But I mean, has he, he's done it two weeks in a row, right? The Steelers somehow not. I mean, I want to say they're not terrible, except they are, except they're not, except they are, except they're not, right? Is, is that a fair characterization of what they got going? It's absolutely fair characterization is they are talented and really good at defense, never really done anything on offense, but have the talent and show glimpses. But injured quarterback, it's just it feels like they are they get a lot of uh, like goodwill from having Tomlin and having the history that they have. If they were any other team, we'd be a harsher on them considering what they've done out there. I was trying to who was the quarterback that got a couple reps that end or that um Russell Wilson took his job in Seattle because that was the move that was uh that was Matt Moore that not was Matt, Matt Moore. Moore no it wasn't Matt Moore no 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 not Matt Flynn Matt that's Flynn. what I was thinking about that's Matt the Flynn. one yeah Matt Flynn that's the one what I was going for got him a couple backup reps and it's like mm, maybe <laughs> let's no, get remember he, he threw six touchdowns in the last game of the year against the Lions and Seattle was like and look this is something it, it's kind of tangential to what I'm thinking about with uh the Steelers when they took Kenny Pickett and I just I did not know how you saw Kenny Pickett play in college and thought that was it and generally speaking if a guy can get to the 15th pick you should let him get to the 33rd like like you're not it's very rare that you're gonna make it happen with a guy that you take in that range right but if you need a quarterback you kind of just gotta grab one right like like this is the one that's here I guess this is what we have to do and then you go and do it but now they ain't got no quarterback. The the um, Steelers are an example of the thing that I preach about not quite working as well as it should work. But there are there's like other explanations for it because often I'm like you shouldn't chase the superstar quarterback because it's so rare. That's not a strategy. Like if you stumble upon one, that's fine. The real strategy is to build a stable organization and filter the quarterbacks through until somebody can make it work in that stable situations. That's what the Steelers did. You think back to when Ben Roethlisberger got hurt, we all were like, oh, they can go ahead and sit on this. They gonna have a first-round pick last year. You know what they did? They traded away that first-round pick to get Mika Fitzpatrick. And I was like, this is stupid. However, I'm like, well, this is like some stability and and hoping that you find the next quarterback is dumb. So if this is what I truly believe, I wouldn't have traded for a safety, but then this is a reasonable move for them to make. And they still find themselves like right at that a quarterback away, essentially like that spot, which is a, a better place to be in than a lot of these other teams. But it's a frustrating place for uh, the Steelers fan base who are looking at Mike Tomlin, who has been one of the most effective coaches uh, over the last several years and saying, his his message got stale and it's time for him to go now. That's that's the rumblings out there now. But at least with um like Mega Fitzpatrick turned out to be better than any of us thought they were. Remember, that was a weird trade because the Steelers 
had yeah. not traded a first round pick in like 40 years before they did that. Oh, yeah. And the Dolphins were trying to tear it all down, but then they turned out to be not that bad. Remember, they traded Tunsil and Mega Fitzpatrick. Oh, I, I never year. forget it because I that was the first time when I should have learned my lesson about calling out people for tanking. Because I was like, y'all are tanking and you're amoral. Then they went on and won more games they were supposed to because Brian Flores wasn't having that shit. But they were tanking. Like, let's yeah. get that clear. They, they were, were they were absolutely they were. trying to lose. Like, you trade the thing about it was Tunsil was the one that got me. Yeah. Because I'm like, okay. So you're trading Tunsil for a first-round pick where you'll hope like hell that you get a player <laughs> as good Tunsil. as Larry B. Tunsil. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The, um, the Cardinals are now the same team that are they're trying to tank, but the players won't make it easy for them. And so it's, yes. they're, they're in a weird situation, which I pitched this to, to I think, Mina uh, on her show. I wish that we could um, assign your draft pick. Your draft pick is determined by the outcome of a different team season. Because I hate the idea that there is a that there is a legitimate incentive. Like I get it. There's a tear between certain fans. Like I get. It. There's a legitimate in incentive. And I thought about this because the Bears are in the perfect situation where they just got to root for the for the Panthers to stink, and they get a number one overall pick, and they can still root for their team. And maybe some people are like, no, you should lose too, so we can get Marvin Harrison Jr. Also, but no. They're in a good situation. I wish that we could do that. Going forward, match everybody up. You take somebody else's draft pick. Well, the Cardinals thought they were going to be in that position and then C.J. Stroud showed up. <laughs> he did. He ruined Like, the, the Cardinals are going to be set up to have, like, the yep. one of the two and the two of the three, yep. except Chicago, that number one pick is so locked up. <sighs> I don't know who the Panthers could be right now. Well, I appreciate you, Bomani Jones. Thanks for joining me. I look forward Appreciate to being back you, on though. your show. Yeah, I look forward to being back on your show next week. As you guys probably already know, you can check Bomani Jones out wherever you get podcasts, The Right Time with Bomani Jones. All right, brother. All right, back. All right, that was a great show. Thanks again to my main man, Charlie Kravitz, for co-piloting this thing with me. Mina Kimes, David Dennis Jr., Bomani Jones, and, of course, the great producers. One of them got thrown under the bus today. Kevin, Brian, Serafina, Megan, and Podville for this beautiful studio. Oh, Cortez. You know what you did. Awkward Cortez. And thanks, Phil, again. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.